0: Uh, next, this is next Saturday, right? Next Saturday, the 10th, from 9 to 11, there's going to be a coffee and donuts and crafting event for ladies. It's going to be a breakfast, um, and they're going to be lettering on pumpkins and having a short devotional, munching on donuts and sipping cider and coffee. So it sounds delightful, but, and it's going to be here at the church building. October 10th, Saturday, it's next Saturday, October 10th from 9 o'clock to 11 o'clock, and it's for ladies. B-Y-O-what? Okay, it's, it's bring your own pumpkin. <laughs> so bring your own pumpkin if you want a letter on the pumpkin. And the smoother the surface, the better. Ask Ellie if you aren't sure, and bring your Bible, and the rest is provided. Um, so this morning we're going to start off. Uh, like we have the past few weeks with reading through the book of Jonah. So if you'd like to read along, go ahead and uh, get your Bible out or your Bible app out and find your place in Jonah. Um, If you've been with us for the last uh, four weeks or so, uh, you probably are starting to commit this story by memory because we're reading through the whole thing each time. But uh, I'm going to go back to the translation we read first, which is the New Living Translation, And we'll get started. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against it, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. The sailors were terrified when they heard this, for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. Oh, why did you do it? They groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, what should we do to stop you to do to you to stop this storm? Throw me into the sea, Jonah said, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder to get the ship to the land, but the stormy sea was too violent for them and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord, Jonah's God. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sin and don't hold us responsible for his death. Oh, Lord, you have sent this great storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors picked Jonah up, and threw him into the raging sea, and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from inside the fish. He said, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble, and he answered me. I called to you from the land of the dead, and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths, and I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. Then I said, O Lord, you have driven me from your presence. Yet I will look once more toward your holy temple. I sank beneath the waves, and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. As my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. Those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercies. But I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. And I will fulfill all my vows. For my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Then the Lord ordered the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and put on burlap to show their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes, He dressed himself in rough cloth and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning, and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they had done and how they had put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Then Jonah went out to the east side of the city and made a shelter to sit under as he waited to see what would happen to the city. And the Lord God arranged for a leafy plant to grow there. And soon it spread its broad leaves over Jonah's head, shading him from the sun. This eased his discomfort, and Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But God also arranged for a worm. The next morning at dawn... The worm ate through the stem of the plant so that it withered away. And as the sun grew hot, God arranged for a scorching east wind to blow on Jonah. The sun beat down on his head until he grew faint and wished to die. Death is certainly better than living like this, he exclaimed. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry because the plant died? Yes, Jonah retorted, even angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. It came quickly and died quickly. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? Let's pray together. Father, I... Thank you that we can be here together today. Lord, I ask your your blessing upon this time that we dedicate to you, to your honor, to your glory. Just pray that you would speak to us through your word and through Mike, as he shares uh, from the book of Jonah this morning, and that uh, together as your body, as as members of your body, that we would... Uh, grow closer together and closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
1: I think we need to uh, start a fund to have to like pay for David to read the entire Bible and record it. (laughs) Isn't he great at reading? I just love listening to him read. It's awesome. We're in Jonah chapter four this morning. So uh, if you have your Bibles, your app, uh, get over to that chapter, Jonah chapter four. In, in chapter one, Jonah ran away from God, right? Remember that part of it. He's like, I'm not going to do what God wants I'm going to go the opposite way. In Jonah chapter two, Jonah gave in to God and he prayed. Anybody remember what was missing from that prayer? Repentance, right? Jonah chapter three. Jonah actually preaches the message that God tells him. So he's obedient, but you can tell his heart is certainly not in it, even from the lack of details that that he gives us in the book. So I'm just curious, who's the hero of the story of Jonah? Who's the hero of the book? God, thank you. Okay, I was waiting for somebody to say Jonah. It's like, no, Jonah's the anti-hero in the book of Jonah, which is kind of ironic. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more, I think, next week, Lord willing. Um, But I want to dive into this last chapter, chapter 4. And I thought I was going to get through the whole chapter, but I decided I did not want to keep you here until about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So we're only going to get through the first part of it this morning. Uh, Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to have us read. We're going to read it again, just those four verses in the um, Christian Standard Bible. Jonah was greatly displeased. And became furious, and he prayed to the Lord, "Oh please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, just take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live." And the Lord asked, "Is it right for you?" To be angry. We left off in chapter 3 with the king of Assyria, the king of Nineveh, taking off his robes, putting on cloth, sackcloth, itchy cloth, sitting on a heap of ashes instead of his throne. All the people doing the same thing, and all the animals also putting on sackcloth, which had to be quite a sight. And then all of them fasting, not even the animals were allowed to eat or drink, which David reminded us. It probably sounded pretty awful because animals get really cranky when they don't have, I mean, humans don't, right? But animals get really cranky when they don't have food and water with the hope that God would relent from what he was going to do. And in, and in chapter three, verses nine and 10, the king's words are this, who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. And God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened of them. And he did not do it. So what do you think Jonah's reaction should have been? What do you think Jonah's reaction should be? Let's start by looking at what his reaction was. And I think it'll become really obvious. What was Jonah's reaction to God's mercy offered to the Ninevites? The, the passage says he was greatly displeased. Greatly displeased. Now the word "greatly" shows up 12 times in the book of Jonah. 12 times, not not to exaggerate, but it's 12 times that there's great, there's a great fish and there's a great storm and, and he's greatly displeased. He's greatly, he's he's not happy at all, at all. Matter of fact, it says he's furious. Anybody know anybody who's hot-headed? We use that phrase "hot-headed." What do we mean when we use the phrase "hot-headed"? Quick to anger, yeah. Is it usually something where they're just calm about? Okay, I'm, I'm upset now. If someone's hot headed, how do they? How do they kind of respond? I mean, they're in a flame, right? They're like, oh, they're just gonna like incinerate everything around them. This word, furious, means hot. He was hot. He's livid. He's so mad at this point. And who's he mad at? Mad at God. For what? He's mad at God because God showed mercy. Let that settle for just a second. We come to chapter 4, and you would think that Jonah would be happy that his message was heard and that the people responded to God. After all, I mean, isn't that the point? Isn't that what prophets are supposed to do? A prophet comes to your town and says, hey, let me tell you the word of God, and you better do something about it. And then they do something about it. You would think Jonah would be one of the happiest people alive right now because one of the most wicked group of people ever to exist in his day just turned to God. That should make him pretty happy, I would think. It's the goal. The goal is to share God so that people can know him, enter a relationship with him. Isn't that what it means to be image bearers of God? To take God to other people so they can experience him and his love. Isn't that what God determined the Jews would be? When God made his covenant with Abraham, in Genesis chapter 12, he said this. Genesis 12, verse 2. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 18, it's repeated again in a little different way. God says, Abraham is to become a great and powerful nation, and all the nations of earth will be blessed through him. What did God mean by all the nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham? Did he just mean the Jews? Or could that also apply to Nineveh? If all the nations of the earth would be blessed through the Jewish nation, couldn't that and shouldn't that include Nineveh? Well, of course. So Jonah should have been one of the most happy people alive. I mean, he did his job, and everything worked out the way it was supposed to. He went and shared God with the wicked people. They heard about God. They changed. God repented. They're still alive. Good story. But that's not really what happens, is it? Jonah has a very wrong reaction to God's mercy. And when we have wrong reactions to God's working, it often leads to unhealthy actions toward God and others. Wrong reactions lead to unhealthy actions. And we're going to see that with Jonah here. So what's Jonah's first action that he does? When he hears about the fact that God relented from his punishment, I think it's kind of ironic. What's the first thing he does? Somebody give it to me. He prays. Do you realize the irony in that? It took him how many days in the belly of a big fish to pray? Three? Now God shows mercy and immediately, God just kill me now. He doesn't pray for the Ninevites. He doesn't pray for his own nation. He prays that God would take his life. So he actually turns to prayer which is good at least he learned that i guess in the belly of the fish but he prays for the wrong things even says lord take my life for it's better for me to die than to live and then he tries to defend his actions doesn't he you know what i find i find that when i have unhealthy behaviors when i have bad reactions to what god is doing i often try to defend my stance we call this rationalization don't we and i tell you I can be really good at it. Anybody else with me? Any of you really good at rationalizing the wrong things that you do? I, I know I can be. So here's what he says. Listen, Nineveh's wicked, they're the enemy of Israel. And I knew God, that you would send uh, if you sent me that you would show mercy to them, you were sending me so that they would repent, and so I ran away. And I did what you said, and they repented, and now you're going to spare them, so you might as well just take my life. And he tries to like justify his actions before God as to why he did what he did. And while it might be really easy to call out Jonah for his drama, and I think the author wants us to, we have to also ask ourselves, why would a man of God, why would a prophet, a spokesperson for God, be so violently upset about God's mercy that he would act as well? What would take someone who's normally right there with God, they're side by side, and make him so opposed to God that he's actually telling God just to take his life. What would bring someone to that point? Was Jonah's attitude justified? Was it okay for Jonah to act this way? And the author wants us to contemplate this, and to think about this, and to process it, and go, wait a minute, Something's not quite right here. You're talking about a prophet who prophesied for Israel previously. Now all of a sudden is like totally against God and wants his life to end. Something's not adding up. What are we missing in this story? Well, Jonah, first of all, was looking through life through his lens and the lens of his nation. So I want to focus on those two different views that Jonah has in his life right now. At that time, at the time of Jonah... Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. We've talked about this before, right? Um, this is at one of its weaker moments. So Assyria was strong. It hit a weak spot, which is where Jonah is right now. And then it comes back even stronger after they repent and they're spared. They come back even stronger. And the Assyrian leadership ran through the family line of this guy named Shalmaneser. There's a name you should not name your kids. Okay? Shalmaneser. Shalmaneser I um, was the first king of his name, and he was active in the days of Israel when Israel was just forming as a nation um, in, in Palestine. He had no direct contact with Israel himself, but this is perhaps the guy they were looking at in 1 Samuel 8 when Israel said, we want a king like the nations around us. Remember that statement? We talked about how God allowed them to have a king, but they wanted to be like all the other nations, at that time, Shalmaneser I was king of Assyria. And maybe he's one of the role models that they had. Hey, look at how powerful they are. Look what's happening over there. We want to be like them. We want a king like everyone else. That was 1 Samuel 8, 19 and 20. Shalmaneser II was roughly the contemporary with King Saul. But king Saul was the first king, right? Shalmaneser II was serving as the king of Assyria at about the same time as Saul, the first king of Israel was on the throne. But he really didn't do anything with Israel. But then there's Shalmaneser III. It's bad enough you have a name Shalmaneser, but to make that go down for so many generations is really kind of rough. Shalmaneser III, right, he shows up, and he has contact with Israel. As a matter of fact, he made frequent raids into the land and would steal cattle and people and all sorts of stuff. He was a bad guy. And he was a thorn in the side of Israel. He was like a problem. And he's the one who came. Basically, before Jonah, Shalmaneser IV was the ruler who was ruling around the time of Jonah during the weaker moment in the Assyrian kingdom. His successor is Tiglath. Here's another tough name Tiglath the Lesser. Don't name your kid that either. And he was, he was a guy who came in and actually really attacked Israel a lot. Um, But during Shalmaneser IV's reign is when Jonah is talking. And this is at a weak moment in Assyria. So Assyria had grown. They were one of those kingdoms that Israel would be watching to see what's going on in their lives. And Shalmaneser III had already tormented them and raided them and been a thorn in their side. And now there's a chance that maybe God will wipe out this enemy. Maybe God would do something. And this is after Solomon and before Jonah. So after Solomon, remember the kingdom divided into a north and a south kingdom, Israel and Judah. And that's when Shalmaneser III would have come in and started his raiding campaigns. For the Jews, it would be unthinkable that God would provide mercy to someone who's been attacking them. What about the Psalms? Have you read the Psalms? Have you read David's words? Oh God, destroy those... who who destroy you, who destroy your people. God, wipe out those who hate you and who hate your people. God, deliver us from our enemies. And what about David's Psalms? Have you read those? I mean, how could a God, our God, the God of our country, allow these people to survive? What about the Abrahamic covenant that we just read? I'll bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. God, how can you bless those who are cursing us, who are punishing us? This had to seem upside down to someone like Jonah, who was the mouthpiece for God for the nation of Israel. What about those promises? Shouldn't God be punishing Assyria and not showing them mercy at this time? But it gets worse. There's another prophet that's prophesying around the same time as Jonah, and his name is Hosea. We're not going to look at Hosea as a church family because it's pretty it's it's out there you should read through hosea but it's during hosea's prophecy that he declares that assyria is the country that's going to carry israel into exile so the same time that jonah's prophesying and going to nineveh hosea is prophesying that assyria is going to carry israel into exile. Hosea chapter 9 verse 3 says this, they will not stay in the land of the Lord. This is talking about the Jews. Instead, Ephraim will return to Egypt and they will eat unclean food in Assyria. A prophecy about an exile yet to come involving the Assyrians. And there's more in the book of Hosea about that. It's possible that Jonah was aware of this. Could this be the reason that Jonah was so upset? Could this be the reason that Jonah wanted to run away from God? Maybe if I run away, maybe if I don't allow them to experience God's mercy, maybe something bad will happen to me. Maybe they will get destroyed. and Then maybe we won't go into exile. I don't know if Jonah really thought he could alter God's future. Right? I mean, now you're getting into some kind of game here maybe if I do this, maybe God will, won't be able to do what he wants to do. I know he's sending me because he wants to show mercy, so maybe if I just don't go, God won't show mercy and wipe him out. That could be it, but I don't think so. Because in Jonah chapter 1, verse 14, the sailors cried out. They called out to the Lord, Please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life, and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Lord, have done just as you Pleased. Even the sailors on the boat in Jonah's account understood that God has a plan and he's going to do it. So maybe it was more that Jonah didn't want to be that guy. Maybe it was more that Jonah didn't want to be the one to go to Nineveh and share that message. He wanted somebody else to do it because who wants to be the guy who offers mercy to the enemies of your nation? I mean, do you want to be that guy? I don't want to be that guy. I think that's probably more the likely story. If I run far enough from God, he'll have to send somebody else to Nineveh. If you throw me overboard and I die, you'll have to send somebody else to Nineveh. And God doesn't do either, right? He just swallows him, spits him out. By the way, he spit him out on the shore. The shore was not right next to Nineveh. He's reading a child's book, and it says that Jonah got spit out into Nineveh. It's like 100 miles. That's a long spit. So, um, yeah, so he gets spit up on the shore, and he goes to Nineveh, and he preaches anyway. So I think he just didn't want to be that guy. Though a rational theology would acknowledge that God is in control of government and circumstances, nobody wants to feel like they're the one responsible. And I'll show you how our how our, our minds do this. Um, any of you watch uh, the Marvel series of movies? Maybe you watch all the, you know, so you watch the Avengers, Infinity War? Yes. So the whole reason that half of the earth was wiped out was because of Chris Pratt, Right. People on Twitter thought so. They were attacking him after that movie came out. They're like, how could you do that? Like, like it was real life. I mean, it's crazy. But you watch a movie like that, and you're like, oh, if he had only done this or whatever, and you realize, no, there's a bigger game. And when you get to the last one, Endgame, you realize that um, Doctor Strange knew all along that that had to take place, and there was something else that had to happen at the end. There's one way that it worked out, and he shows Tony Stark that. Okay, I know I'm tripping out on a movie. If you get the movie, you get that. It wasn't necessarily because of Chris Pratt that the whole world was destroyed. There were a lot of other things that led up to it. Well, it wouldn't be just Jonah's fault that the Ninevites survived. It wouldn't just be him. Because if you, were, if you were a rational Jew and you had a good theology, you would understand that God is in control of governments and God is in control of circumstances. And you couldn't blame Jonah. But I find that when people live through unpleasant times, When people are made uncomfortable in their society, they look for a scapegoat. Just think about our country right now. How many people are looking for someone to blame for everything that's happening? We look for scapegoats and nobody wants to be that scapegoat. I don't think Jonah wanted to be that scapegoat. Maybe this is why Jonah lingered outside the city. Perhaps this is why Jonah went to the east of the city. An interesting detail when you consider the fact that his hometown was to the west. So after he preaches and they repent, he goes further away from home and sits to see if something's going to happen. Perhaps because he didn't want to go back. We don't know for sure. But I think so. How could he face his fellow Israelites knowing that he was the one who helped bring mercy to the people who were going to soon Bring affliction. In. Shalmaneser V, from 727 BC to 722 BC. These are real people. This is historical stuff. Okay, um, he was able to bring Hoshea, the king of Israel, under his control. And under Shalmaneser V, the northern kingdom of Israel was conquered and brought into exile. The book of Second Kings, chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. In the twelfth year of Judah's king Ahaz, it's Judah, Hosea, son of Ella, became king over Israel in Samaria. And he reigned nine years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight. You get that a lot in the Book of Kings, by the way. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, but not like the kings of Israel who preceded him. King Shalmaneser of Assyria attacked him. And Hosea Hoshea became his vassal and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria caught Hosea in a conspiracy. He had sent envoys to So, king of Egypt, and had not paid tribute to the king of Assyria as in previous years. Therefore, the king of Assyria arrested him and put him in prison. And the king of Assyria invaded the whole land, marched up to Samaria, and besieged it for three years. And in the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria. He deported the Israelites to Assyria and settled them in Hala, Along the, along the Habor in the city of the Medes. It's not long after Jonah prophesies, 40 years-ish, after mercy comes to the Assyrian Empire, and they're not wiped out, that God now uses them, and Shalmaneser V, to come in and conquer Israel and take Israel captive into Assyria. If Jonah hadn't gone, would this have still happened? What do you think? How many of you don't want to answer that question? Like, ah. If Jonah hadn't gone and preached to Nineveh, would this have still happened? How many of you say yes? Let's do a show of hands. We're going we're to call you right out. You're like, ah, I don't want to read. Yeah, of course it would have happened, right? You're right. It would have happened. Of course it would have. The, the sovereignty of God is one of the primary lessons in the book of Jonah. I mean, you have to get that. The sovereignty of God is one of the big lessons in the book of Jonah. It's also all throughout Scripture. Proverbs 19.21 is just a great verse to memorize. It says this, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's God's purpose that will prevail. Take a translation, it'll read a little bit different, but it's a great one to memorize. Uh, In the CSB, it's many are the plans in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. Jonah dreaded taking the message to the Ninevites because he felt they deserved the wrath of God for their wickedness. He wanted to see justice served. He wanted to spare his people from future anguish. And I suppose those three threads are very common in the fabric of society, aren't they? Justice, recompense, and protection. That's what Jonah was looking for. And that's not unreasonable. As a matter of fact, those can be very noble and valuable commodities in any culture, can't they? They are. They are. And it seems that our culture nowadays is just enraptured in these concepts. Um, there's some emotionally charged campaigns going on right now to bring about justice and recompense and protection, right, to certain people or people groups in our society today. Absolutely. These are things that are, that are part of our core as a culture, but but in God's economy, if justice is served to everyone who deserves it, it would lead to the destruction of all. You have to understand that. That's the flood. In God's economy, if justice was served to everyone that deserves it, you and I would not be here today. The main thread of the tapestry of Jonah, is something much greater than just justice, recompense, and protection. It's mercy. It's mercy. This is what is missing in much of our society today, and sadly, even in Christendom today, is the mercy. God did not give Nineveh what they deserved. He gave them His mercy. Jonah knew that God would do this. Otherwise, why bother sending him in the first place, right? It would do me no good to send somebody to warn somebody that I'm going to hurt them if I don't want them to change or to take some kind of action. So if God is saying to Jonah, go, obviously he wants to spare them, or he wouldn't have sent Jonah in the first place. He would have just wiped them out. And that is what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah, isn't it, with Abraham and Lot? He didn't warn Sodom and Gomorrah. He just wiped them out. But God sent a prophet to the Assyrians to warn them, to show mercy. And Jonah knew that this was going to happen. So let's go back to our passage in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. He prayed to the Lord. He says, please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? Which is why I fled in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. Now, Jonah is quoting the book of Exodus. When Moses was getting the tablets from God the second time, not the first time, but the second time, Exodus 34, verses 5 through 8, Moses gets two more tablets of stone, carries them up a mountain. I don't know how you hold on to tablets of stone and climb up a mountain, but he did it. He gets it to the top of the mountain. It says in verse 5, Yahweh descended in the cloud, and he stood with him there and proclaimed the name of Yahweh. And Yahweh passed over before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, God, who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding with loyal love and faithfulness, keeping loyal love to the thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He does not leave utterly unpunished, punishing the guilt of fathers and of sons and of sons of sons in third and fourth generations. And Moses hurried and knelt down to the earth and worshiped. This thread of compassion and mercy that defines who God is and what he does is quoted by several other prophets, by the way. As they're warning Israel about what's happening and what's going to happen, whether they're pre-exile, mid-exile, or post-exile prophets, they keep talking about God's mercy. Because the Israelites are going to be punished, but God's mercy is going to keep them around. We talked about this in the book of Malachi. But in Joel chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, Joel references God's mercy and compassion. Nahum chapter 1, verse 3. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 17. Even David understood this. And I want you to see if you can catch something a little bit different about David's version of this. In Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9. Listen as I read it and see if you catch something a little bit different. The Lord is gracious and compassionate slow to anger, and great and faithful love. The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all he has made. What's different between that and the other one? What did you catch? Anything? Nothing? David has a little twist. What he didn't say is that Yahweh is compassionate just to Israel. The prophets would have been talking about the mercy of God to Israel. But David said that God is merciful and compassionate to everyone. And that he shows his compassion on all that he has made. Which I think is interesting. I mean, that even includes the animals. You know, when you get to the end of the book of Jonah and you're reading about these animals and you're like, what is going on here? David and I have been like, why the animals? Why are, they, why are the animals fasting? Why are they in sackcloth as well as the people? And then at the end, God says he has mercy and compassion on the people and all the animals. Like, what's up with the animals? Well, David got it. God is compassionate on all that he has made. His mercy and compassion extends to everyone, not just the Jews. And it extends to all that he has made, which includes the animals as well as people. The passage in Exodus is part of a Mosaic covenant. It goes back to the Abrahamic covenant that we read, Genesis 18, 18, where God says that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed, all the nations. God didn't choose Israel so that he could be their exclusive God and so that they could be his exclusive people forever. It wasn't a goal of exclusivity. Were they chosen people? Yes. As a matter of fact, the word holy means set apart, and they were set apart for God as a holy nation. But for what purpose? They were set apart as a holy nation so that they could point people back to God. Not just their own nation, but all nations. Through Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. God's mercy and compassion extends to all people, everyone, to all of his creation. Truly, God has established that all people should be given access to him. No one is so far gone, or his actions that are so abhorrent, that God cannot change them. That would be the lesson of the Assyrian, wouldn't it? Of the king and the people who fasted. When people experience the power of God, and are made aware of God, they can then choose to follow God and adjust their course. And That would be the lesson of the sailors, wouldn't it, in chapter 1. <laughs> so we have two positive lessons from the Syrian king and some, some pagan sailors. And then we have the anti-lesson, or the negative example of what you should positively be doing. As a negative lesson, no one who is known as a follower of God, should act like Jonah did. Can I just throw that out there? There's nobody who calls themselves a Jesus follower, a God follower, that should act the way Jonah did. Holding back the message of grace from their enemies, just so they can see justice. Nobody. So let me wrap this up by looking at God's response to Jonah. We're only going to get through these verses this morning. So we're not going to get to the whole plant thing. We're we'll to get to that next week. But Jonah chapter 4, verse 4 is God's response to Jonah. And I'm going to read it from a couple different versions. In the NLT it says, is it right for you to be angry about this? In the Lexham it says, is it right for you to be angry? And in the New American Standard it says, do you have a good reason to be angry? Do you have the right to be angry, Jonah? You notice there's no response from Jonah. And God doesn't even wait for one. The story just continues on. Jonah walks out, storms out of the city, and goes to the east, builds a shelter, and waits for something to happen. There's no response. It's meant to be a hanging question to make you think. To make you go, wait a minute, is it right? Does he have a right? Doesn't he have a right? What do you think? Does Jonah have a right to be angry? Well, no way. We need no way. Why doesn't he have a right? I mean, obviously, he's not not doing what what God would want. He obviously has a really bad attitude. But God's attitude, I think, is really significant here. Because remember, the hero of the book is not Jonah. The hero of the book is God. And what is God's attitude? Well, the first thing is he's not demeaning to Jonah. He doesn't say, Jonah, you're an idiot. Don't you get it? He doesn't demean Jonah. And and that's what we want to think, right? We read the story and we're like, Jonah, what is wrong with you, man? But God doesn't do that. God doesn't put him down. Um, God doesn't even say that, that he's mad at him. He doesn't even say, and, and God's anger burned against Jonah. Jonah's anger burned against God. But God does what I see him do in Scripture over and over and over again. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, God came through the garden, they hid from him, and he went and he found him, and he asked him a question. Where are you? We're hiding from you. You realize that we're naked. Well, who told you you were naked? Did you do something you shouldn't have? It's the same approach that God had with Cain after Cain killed his brother Abel. God walks up to Cain and says, Cain, where's your brother? He asks him a question. And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? Now God approaches Jonah, and he looks at him and he says, do you have a right be angry, Jonah. He's so patient. He's so patient. And this question is certainly loaded. I mean, it is so loaded right now. It, it, it's, it's aimed at Jonah, but it's also specifically aimed at every one of us who's a God follower. I mean, it's, it's like David talked about a target. You know, when you have that character in the movie, and you see the little red dot, and the dot comes on them, and you're like, oh, there's a target on them. Somebody's, you know, somebody's aiming at them. This is one of those questions that's aimed at every single one of us. We all have the red dot on us. Do any of us have the right to question and complain about the decisions of God? Think about that. Do any of us have the right to question and complain about the decisions of God? Now, I'm not asking if we ever do it. Let's be honest. We do it, don't we? I mean, I complain sometimes to God. I'm. I'm it's going to be just straight with you here. I, I sometimes complain about things that God allows to happen. I sometimes don't like what God allows to happen. But do I really have the right to complain about what God is doing? Isaiah chapter 45, verses 9 through 11, is another great passage. You see, a matter of fact, if you want to look through the book of Isaiah and look for clay and potter, and just look at all the references, you'll get a really great perspective on, do we have the right? What rights do we have? Uh, this is one of those passages, Isaiah 45:9. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does the clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, stop, you're doing it wrong? Does the pot exclaim, well, how clumsy can you be? How terrible it would be if a newborn baby said to its father, why was I born? Or if it said to its mother, why did you make me this way? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and your creator. Do you question what I do for my children? Do you give me, do you give me orders about the work of my hands? Whoa. Just that's like a passage you could just chew on for a month. And by the time you're done, you're just gonna be like, okay, I'm a worm. You know, I, I do this all the time, God, I'm sorry. Um, it's just a great passage. Who are we to question God? And perhaps that question to God to Jonah that God asks, do you have a right to be angry? Maybe we need to put the emphasis on the word right. Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? Is it your right? No, that's absolutely right. You are right. He doesn't have a right. But I think there's another lesson to be found in this question. And it's more personal, and I think it hits home even more. Jonah was definitely wicked in running away from God. Would you agree with that one? Let's just, all, is, it, is it bad to run away from God? Yes, raise your hands. Okay, this is a great, you had a question right, okay? He's, God spared Jonah and showed him mercy. If that's the mercy Jonah received, how could Jonah be angry that God would show mercy to someone else? Jonah ran away from God, ignored God, disobeyed God, even tried to take his own life so he couldn't do what God wanted to do because he just didn't want to do it, and God showed him mercy. Does he have the right to not want mercy for other people even though he himself has received it? Is disobedience to God in running away any different than being exceedingly violent, like the Assyrians? Or are they both wrong in God's economy? Perhaps the question from God could have emphasis on a different word, on the word you. Do you have the right? Do you, who has experienced my mercy firsthand, do you have the right to be angry that I show mercy to someone else? Wow. Wow. Micah chapter 6, one of the other prophets. Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You only offer mercy, and you only love mercy truly when you offer it to others that need it. To only love mercy that applies to you is very selfish. So who needs mercy? Well, every one of us, but certainly our enemies, even the Ninevites in Jonah's time. This is certainly what Jesus had in mind. I'm convinced when he gave the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew chapter eighteen, verses twenty-one through twenty-five. And he gave a parable and he called in one. about a master called in a servant. The servant said, I can't pay back what I owe. And the master said, okay, well, I'll wipe out your debt. And then that servant goes and finds another person who owes him money and basically like, locks him up because he can't pay. The master's like, well, I showed you mercy. You should have shown mercy as well. And you didn't. So then the first master throws the other one in jail. Matthew chapter 18. Check that one out. How about the parable of the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10? Another example of showing mercy to someone who you normally wouldn't. But what about when Jesus was hanging on the cross? What about when he was nailed to the tree and he's hanging on the hill and the soldiers are spitting on him and they're mocking him and they're gambling at his feet for his clothes? He looks down from the cross at them. In Luke 23, 34, we read these words, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Mercy. The book of Jonah starts by demonstrating the sovereignty and the power of God, chapters 1 and 2. It ends demonstrating the mercy and mission of God in Jonah chapter 3 and 4. It has been and it continues to be God's mission to redeem all of mankind from our own sinfulness. But I want you to understand that in Jonah's day, this combination of being all-powerful and also compassionate is kind of an odd thing. That didn't exist back then. So these Assyrians that Jonah went to, They would have gods, and their god lived for himself. And you worshipped their god, which was a fish god, by the way, kind of funny. Um, You'd worship that god, and that god, everything that you did was for that god, and everything that that god did was for himself, not for his people. You sacrificed your children to that god for his benefit. Never did the supreme god of a nation... Do anything for the benefit of the people, except the God of Israel. The God of gods, the Bible calls him. He was not only sovereign, but he was compassionate. Now I know there's a lot more we can cover in this book. And Lord willing, we'll get to some of it next week. Um, And then after that, we're going to try to do a question and answer. Um, So if you have questions or thoughts or things you want us to dive into, Email them to us and elders at ncfchurch.org, and we'll look at them in a couple weeks. Um, But we're left with this image in our head of a man who should show mercy because he's been shown mercy. And instead, he's in a rage. He's hot. He's upset. He'd rather die than live in his current reality where God showed mercy to his enemies. It's a wrong picture, wouldn't you agree? It's just not right. It's not what a prophet of God, a person of God, should ever be like. It's an upside-down picture on purpose, as we've been looking at with the whole book of Jonah. The problem is that when we come in contact with something that's so blatantly ridiculous, it has to make you stop and think. Am I like that? Is this is it being so obvious because it's such an issue that all of us struggle with? Is there such an exaggeration that it just like has to be so silly? I mean, of course nobody would ever act like that, right? I mean, none of you would ever act like that, right? Ever. So let's just ask, are there people that we don't want to forgive in our lives? I don't want you to start naming them. But I bet you could. Are there things that God has done that we want to complain about? Are there times we're angry at God for what he's doing? And are there times that we're more interested in justice and punishment than we are in mercy? If God is described by Jonah as a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. If that's the definition of who God is and what he does. And you and I are described in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, as being made in the image of God. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Let me leave you with a question today. What should our actions and reactions look like. Let's pray. Father, we come today and we know that we need your mercy. We see the over-exaggerated reaction of Jonah. We can't help admit, but admit that we sometimes act the same way. Father, forgive us for the times that we don't Accept what you're doing. Forgive us for the time where we claim that we deserve justice and recompense and protection. And that others don't deserve the same. Father, help us to accept your mercy. Today we acknowledge that you are the sovereign God, that you are in control. We accept from you whatever you bring into our lives. Father, I pray that you would help us not to react to you or to your mercy the way Jonah did, but that we would be like you, that we would truly live up to our calling as image bearers, that we would want to bring the message of mercy and of compassion and of your great love to those that are around us, not just those that we like, but even those that would be considered our enemies, That we would rejoice that you would be able to use us to have people turn toward you, not be so caught up in our perspective that we miss out on why you created us in the first place. Thank you for your mission of mercy and of compassion. Thank you for showing it to me. Pray that you would teach each one of us how to live that type of mercy toward other people. It's a couple of weeks uh, from now, I think. I don't know. I keep trying to get through the Book of Jonah, and it keeps. Every time I try to study a book of the Bible, it keeps going on. Um, Lord willing, next week we're going to talk about that plant and the worm. The the fish got the, the the best supporting role in the movie Jonah. I think the worm is second, um, definitely, in there. Jonah is in the bottom. But uh, next week, we want to talk about that plant and that worm. But then we also want to have some question and answer. And and David and I are going to do that together. Um, There's a lot of things that we didn't cover in this series on Jonah that we really want to make sure we bring out. They're not enough to be a whole sermon. But we want to put them kind of together so we can bring out some different points for you to chew on as as a whole sermon. So bring a bunch of different little thoughts together. So it's probably going to seem a bit scattered. Um, Some of the points you'll probably go like, oh, that's really cool. And some of you'll be like, I don't know. Um, At this point, I think I've accumulated about 15 um, children's books on Jonah. And um, we're going to look at some of those. And we're going to talk about just how bad they are um, and, and why Jonah should never be in any children's book ever. Um, he's like the bad guy don't why don't we put him in there i don't even understand that but uh he he shouldn't be in there neither should samson ever um in a children's book but uh so we're going to talk about some of those things and that's lord willing in a couple weeks um but we also wanted to give you a chance uh, at this time if you have any questions about what we covered today or any of the verses you can ask those or if you have any prayer requests we'll collect those as well any questions or prayer requests we're not videoing now right you're going Now we're not, okay, so.